morning. How's everybody doing? Good. If you have a Bible, uh, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll have the verses up here, but it's always good to have the, the Bible if you want to write, underline. Uh, in this morning, uh, our Advent celebration was focused on peace. The angels cried out, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When Christ, uh, the incarnation, when he took on human flesh and entered our world, he brought peace. Not uh, world peace. Last night we had the game of family feud and, and it was, we're talking about peace, but we had this family feud. I, don't, I hope there's no hurt feelings if your team lost, but uh, we had this game and one of the questions was, uh, what was the question? What do, what do most people want for Christmas? And the number one answer was world peace. So just so you know, we're not talking about world peace, not the end of wars between nations. Christ came to bring peace between God and humanity, between God and those with whom he's well pleased. And this shouldn't come as a surprise to us. This is what the Bible is about. This is what we've been studying for this last year. You know, this is week 48. We're going to be done at 52. So we're almost done with our our study through the history of redemption. From week 1, Genesis 1 in our study, we saw God created humanity to be at peace. To be in relationship with Him. We were created in His image. We were created to walk with Him. To be in fellowship with Him. To glorify Him. But we also, not too far from Genesis chapter 1, we saw Genesis chapter 3. And we saw that tragic destruction of this relationship that God had created us to be in. We saw how quickly that peace was lost when Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, rebelled when they sinned against God in the garden. And since that time, Genesis 3 on, we've seen that that God has been in the process of restoring peace. Bringing humanity back into, the, back into relationship with Himself. The Bible is the history of redeeming, restoring a people to Himself. And that history culminated in the coming, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now there's a word, there's a word that describes the restoration of a broken relationship. There's a word that describes when two hostile parties uh, make peace. It's a beautiful, it's a profound word. Uh, the word is reconciliation. Reconciliation. That's the kind of the word we're going to be talking about today. How many of you have had an argument, a fight, a disagreement with someone you, you loved? And for a time, maybe minutes, maybe years, your relationship was broken And how many of you have had the experience, uh, the joy of having that relationship restored, forgiving, being forgiven? That's reconciliation, coming back together in relationship. Now when it happens between people, it's a a time for rejoicing. And that joy is, is magnified when we think about our reconciliation, our coming into relationship, our peace with God. As Jim talked about, for some of us, uh, the Christmas, the holiday season can be difficult. Remembering 
uh, lost loved ones, suffering from physical pain, emotional pain, enduring financial difficulty. All of this seems to be magnified around the holidays as we're supposed to be rejoicing. We're in pain. And so this morning, I want us to be encouraged that no matter what our situation is, no matter what we're struggling with, I want us to maybe take a big picture. God, our Creator, the lover of our souls, our Redeemer, has provided us with peace, with relationship, with fellowship with Him. We can be reconciled with God. Listen to the the promise of reconciliation that the Apostle Paul gives to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Now there are two, just two main things I want us to see in this passage. Two aspects of reconciliation. The first is uh, God's work. God's activity. God's part. What God does in reconciliation. See how God is at work. Starting verse 17, listen again to these words of, of, of hope, of peace, of reconciliation. Therefore, if anyone, no matter who you are, anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. Now most of the time, when two parties are estranged, uh, at war even, uh, a relationship has been broken, to achieve reconciliation, they must first uh, want to be reconciled. And then they must come together and, and talk it out, right? Agree to certain terms, offer forgiveness, receive forgiveness. Those of us who are married uh, have certainly experienced this. My wife usually sits there. She's not there, so I can say whatever I want. Uh, well, she usually listens to the recordings when she's not here. Whenever Christy and I uh, disagree, I wouldn't say fight, and it's a rare occasion, just so you know. Uh, when we find our relationship has been broken, maybe we're not really talking, hurtful words or actions have taken place, there's always a give and take. Usually I give an apology and she takes it. That was, that was good. That was okay. A little subtle. Took a while. But you know what I mean. Reconciliation occurs when both sides want it and both sides come together to work it out. Both sides contribute to reconciliation. But that's not the picture of reconciliation with God. 
It's not both sides. God does 100% of the reconciling. Peace with God comes from God, is a gift from God. Because we, in our sinful state, have neither the desire or the ability to contribute to this reconciliation with God. The Bible speaks uh, of our pre-reconciled sinful state in many places. Just a couple of examples that show uh, really our inability to take part in our reconciliation with God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you, this is talking to the church in Ephesus before they knew Christ, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. The picture here is one who is, is helpless. They're dead to overcome their own sin. We have no ability to achieve or desire to receive forgiveness. Therefore, we have nothing to contribute to our reconciliation with God. Romans 3.11, Paul writes, No one seeks for God. If we are not even seeking after God, what part could we play in reconciliation with God? And in 1 Corinthians 2.14, we read, The natural person, the pre-reconciled person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In our natural, pre-reconciled state, we don't accept, we can't understand the things of God. They're foolishness to us. The point is, we have no ability, understanding, or desire to be reconciled to God. Now, we want things from God, and we'll go to God, and we'll ask Him to do things for us. Uh, People who, who have never trusted in Christ will still pray to God but they're looking for God to do something for them. They have no no desire to be in relationship with the living God. We have nothing to contribute. And yet God still works. God still works. God draws. God leads. God calls. Uh, Through Christ, He reconciles us to Himself. Paul makes this really clear. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, Not after we cleaned up our act. Not after we stopped rebelling against God. Not when we started seeking after Him. Not when we surrendered and were uh, uh, in negotiations with Him. But when we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God. God does not wait for our contribution for reconciliation. If He did, He would still be waiting. He draws. He reconciles. So how does He do this? How does, how does God take a sinful, dead, non-seeking, natural, foolish enemy and bring them into relationship with Himself, with a holy God? Again, it's a work of God. Verse 17, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Again, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you have a Bible, circle, underline, highlight, In Christ, He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the the new has come. How can we be, how are we reconciled with God? Remember last week we talked about this concept of being in Christ, if you were here, that because of our intimate connection with Christ, we we receive what Christ receives. It's like God sees Christ in us. I gave the illustration of the married couple. How before they were married... He, the man, was in major debt and she was rich. So after they were married, everything that was his, his debt, became hers. And everything that was hers, her riches, became his. 
That's what it means to be united with Christ, to be in Christ. So for those who are in Christ, we become a new creation. We become like Christ. In Christ, God does a work in our hearts and in our lives. Our pre-reconciled, sinful, foolish, natural self ceases to exist. This is God's work. The old passes away and we become new in Christ. So we are able to be reconciled to God because when God looks at us, He sees Christ in us. He sees we are new creatures in Christ. It's kind of like He, he sees Christ. He, he looks and he, he doesn't see Jim and Eric and Jane. I, I'm looking at you guys here. Uh, Julia, he doesn't see, he sees Christ. And he, he's, he's naturally reconciled to Christ. And we might ask, how is that possible? There's one final thing we need to understand about God's work of reconciliation. Can't leave this out. This is the heart. Yes, we sinful creatures can be reconciled through Christ, being new creatures in Christ. But this does not happen uh, magically. It's not just a wave of a wand. There's great cost. As the Bible teaches, and as we've talked about through uh, the history of redemption, God cannot and does not allow sin to go unpunished. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Ungodliness, unrighteousness, sin, brings with it uh, consequences. And those consequences are described as the wrath of God. God's wrath. There's a price to pay for our sin, and the price is the wrath of God, ultimately leading to our our death. Physical, spiritual death. The price of our sin is the death of the sinner. But if we're dead, if we deserve death, if we're headed for death, if we're dead spiritually already, and headed for physical death, how can we be reconciled to God? We already looked at the first part of Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. So that's the, the recognition of that. But Paul goes on to say how enemies who deserve death are reconciled to God by the death of His Son. The price for sin is the death of the sinner. But for those who trust in Christ, for those who are in Christ, new creatures in Christ, our death is replaced by the death of of Christ. We're connected to Christ. We receive from Christ. He takes our place. And that's what we find in 2 Corinthians 5.21. After Paul talks about reconciliation with God, he ends by telling us how that reconciliation is accomplished. For our sake, He, God, made Him, Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become, uh, this is awesome, the righteousness of God. For our sake, for our reconciliation with God, that we might enjoy the privileges of eternal life, eternal relationship, forgiveness, grace, love, mercy of God, God made Christ to be sin. Christ entered our world on a mission of reconciliation. He lived a sinless life. He knew no sin. And he became a, a, the perfect sacrifice. Uh, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He became that perfect sacrifice. He died in our place. He took upon Himself. He took upon Himself. The wrath of God fell upon Christ. 
When Christ said, Father, why have you forsaken me? The wrath of God was coming upon him. God had turned his back on his son. Christ took the wrath that we deserved. He he established then, he establishes this intimate connection with Christ for those who will trust in him. He enabled us to be in Christ that we might become new creatures, that we might be reconciled to God, that we might become the righteousness of God. This means that just as God put our sin and our guilt on Christ, He made Him to be sin for our sake, so God also put the righteousness, the perfect, limitless righteousness of Christ onto all who believe in Christ. All who are in Christ. Do you, just, do you see how amazing God's work of reconciliation is? All that it accomplishes for those who are in Christ. We become new creatures. The old sinful self passes away. Everything becomes new. God puts our sin on Christ and Christ's righteousness upon us. That's the work of reconciliation. And therefore, we can be reconciled to God. We enter a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. That, that's God's amazing work of reconciliation. Rejoice in it. Now I have several uh, questions for you. Really the same question. I'm just going to state it in a couple ways so we get it. Have you, so I'm going to ask you to do something with this, so if you're asleep, wake up. Have you in faith trusted in the finished work of Christ on the cross for the payment of your sins? Do you believe that when Christ died on the cross that he took the wrath of God that you deserved upon himself? Are you new creatures in Christ? Have you been reconciled to God through Christ? Now think about your answer. If it's no... That's okay. Well, it's not okay for you, but we're okay with you being here. We're okay with you coming and joining us. We're not an exclusive club. If if you haven't been reconciled to Christ, we'd love for you to be here. We'd love for this place to be the place where you could hear the gospel, where you could be drawn by God to be reconciled to God. My prayer is that even today you would be reconciled to God, that you would trust in Christ if your answer is no. But for those of you, and I, I think it's probably most of us, who would answer yes. I have been reconciled to God through Christ. I would ask you at this point, nothing hard, uh, uh, that you would stand. That you would signify by standing. You're saying, yes, I'm a new creation in Christ. I've been reconciled to God through Christ. Now, I'm having you stand not, not for me, but for you. Because what's coming next is for you. What's coming next is for the reconciled. Because when God does the work of recon... You'll be able to sit down in a second. Don't panic. Uh, When God does the work of reconciliation in the life of an individual, another uh, amazing thing happens. And sometimes we don't think it's amazing. I want to help us see how amazing it is. God then gives the reconciled those who are standing, others around the world, a part to play in his work of reconciliation. Second point, 
our work in reconciliation. You can be seated. But don't forget that you stood up. Don't forget that you stood up. Paul describes our work in reconciliation in several ways. First, he says, it's a God-given ministry. It's a God-given ministry. Verse 18, all of this is from, speaking of the, the new creation in Christ, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Like day follows night, like Christmas follows Thanksgiving, like peace follows hope in our Advent. The ministry of reconciliation follows being reconciled to God. For those who are in Christ, for those who've been transformed into this new Christ-like creation, old passed away, everything new, those who are reconciled to God are given by God the ministry of reconciliation. Don't miss the importance of the fact that we're given this by God Himself. God is giving you something. Picture it as a gift from God. God chooses to involve and entrust us, the reconciled, in this most important work of reconciliation. Have you ever been entrusted with with an important responsibility? I remember when I was in high school, I worked at the Van Buren Drive-In. Big job, all right. Three, three screens there. One night at the ticket booth after the, you know, the cars, we had let all the cars in. I mean, we, did, we charged them, that's what you do. The, car, the rush was over. My boss walked over to me, high school me, and said, Clifford, he called me Clifford. He said, Clifford, I, I need to go into the snack bar for a while I really need some popcorn. No, I don't know why I needed to go in. So I need you to be in charge out here. Which meant that I would oversee uh, one other person. There were two of us out there. I was in charge. Uh, I was in charge of selling tickets. And I remember feeling both nervous and excited. Oh, my boss was a good guy. And selling tickets to the movies is a crucial task. So I was determined to do a good job. Every person, every car that drove up would receive a ticket. I would sell one to them. And they would receive the correct change. And I would direct them into the, the right lane for their movie. Took it seriously. Now I choose this somewhat silly illustration to make a point. When we're given a, even a not-so-earth-shattering responsibility by our boss, by a parent, by a teacher, by a friend. We usually take it seriously. I mean, if we're responsible people, we take it seriously. We usually want to do a good job. How much more should we take seriously, seek to do a good job, when God gives us the work of reconciliation? The ministry of reconciliation. If God has given us the ministry of reconciliation then we must seek to understand both what it is and what our part in it is. So what is the ministry of reconciliation and what is our part in it? Well, we've talked about reconciliation with God already. Being at peace with God. Having a loving relationship with God restored. Now, God does the actual reconciling. That's His work. 
So what is our ministry of reconciliation? The word ministry is the, is the Greek word diakonia. It's where we get the word, the idea for a deacon. You've heard of churches have deacons, and deacons are supposed to be the people that do all the serving, the, the hard work. It means to serve, to care for the needs of others. So the ministry uh, of reconciliation involves serving and caring for people in such a way that they can be reconciled to God. Opening the door for reconciliation through service. Being a minister of reconciliation is not just about what you do, it involves who you are. You are a minister of reconciliation. It's not like a, a job you clock in and out of. It's part of your life. You're always ready to minister. You're looking for ministry opportunities. Ministers of reconciliation will get involved in the lives of people. They'll get their hands dirty. Sometimes things will be uncomfortable. They spend time developing relationships of trust. They spend time praying for, caring for, engaging the people they're ministering to. And they never forget, they never forget that their ministry has a goal in mind. A strategic goal, in fact. It's not uh, that we're helping to improve the temporal earthly lives of those we minister to, although we will. The goal is that the people we are ministering to, caring for, helping to improve the lives of, will receive the greatest possible eternal gift, that they will be reconciled to God. That's the focus. So our work in reconciliation is first, a God-given ministry. And second, it includes a Christ-centered message. God gives us the ministry of reconciliation, and in verse 19, Paul continues, that is, in Christ. This is sort of uh, part of our ministry. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The message of reconciliation is that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That, there's the phrase, in Christ again. We're new creatures in Christ, and in Christ, God is reconciling the world to Himself. It's in and through Christ that reconciliation takes place. This is what we saw in our first point, right? 17 and 18, God's work in reconciliation, that through Christ we're reconciled to God. That reconciliation, uh, uh, the reconciliation we receive is from God, and it's with God, it's a gift of God. God's ability to not count our trespasses against us. It's God's act. God's act of making us new creatures. God's grace and love and mercy and forgiveness He pours out. He freely gives us. It's all because of uh, we are in Christ. This is the message that we've been entrusted with. The message of reconciliation. That God in Christ, through the finished work of Christ on the cross, that God was reconciling the world to Himself. And he's entrusted this message, really, uh, what we talked about, the first point. The first point is the message. I just summarized it, sort of. He's entrusted this message to us, the reconciled. So we can bring this message to the people of this world. Our friends and family, our neighbors, our co-workers, the ends of the earth. As ministers of reconciliation, 
we have a message to bring. And that message is centered on Jesus Christ. We can ensure people that they too can be reconciled to God in Christ. That by trusting in Christ for their salvation, for the forgiveness of their sins, by giving their life to Christ, by making Him the Lord of their lives, that in doing that, God connects them to Christ. They're in Christ and and they too can be reconciled to God. What we need to remember is that the message of reconciliation that we've been entrusted to with is always at its heart Christ, Christ, Christ. It's not about politics. It's not about science. It's not about other religions. It's not about church history. Not about morality. Not about answering tough questions. It's about Christ. Who Christ is. What Christ has done what Christ offers, and how we, are to be, how we are to respond to Christ. Now, I'm not saying that when we talk to people about Jesus, that these other topics, these other things, won't come up. Uh, they usually, in my experience, they usually do. And I'm not saying we should ignore them. I don't think we should. But what I am saying is that we need to continually focus and refocus uh, on Christ. Now, just this last week, I was talking to someone about, about faith. He was sharing what he believed or, or what he didn't believe about God. How he wasn't sure there was a God. Probably not, but maybe. How he'd grown up Catholic, went to Catholic school, but didn't really consider himself Catholic, religious anymore. And throughout this conversation, over, over an hour, we talked about many things. All these topics came up. At one point, he said one of those often stated things. Maybe you've heard it before. He said, thought it was getting me with this one. Throughout history, more people have been killed because of religion than anything else. And I didn't let that go. Maybe I should have, but I said, what about the top two killers in history? Hitler and, I mean not Hitler, Stalin and Mao. Self-proclaimed communists, atheists, who combined to kill over 80 million people. Well, his response to that was, uh, if anything, uh, unique. He said, Well, didn't they kill people because of their religion? I I tried to help him see the difference between religious people being killed and uh, religious people doing the killing. Not sure he understood, so I moved on. That wasn't the point, you see. My point is, you know, there are these things that come up and we can be distracted by them. And I was a little bit distracted by it. But throughout the whole time, I'm, I'm thinking and I'm praying, Lord, give me an opportunity to talk about Jesus. And he did. At one point... I think because he'd, uh, he'd been doing most of the talking, he said, so tell me about your faith. All right, here we go. And, and at that point, I was able to share, at least in part, the message of reconciliation about who Christ is and what he had done in my life. And, what he, and when we parted company, when, when we left, he asked if we could, if we could talk about these things uh, more. And so I'm looking forward to doing that. So our work in reconciliation is a a God-given ministry and it includes a Christ-centered message. And finally, it involves urgently representing Christ. Uh, No M word. I thought about using modeling, urgently modeling, but it wasn't quite what the text means, so sorry. Verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, Be reconciled to God. 
the reconciled, those who stood, become ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is a a representative. He or she represents the interests of of one party, uh, usually one nation, to another party, another nation. Ambassadors are sent from one country to represent that country to another country. The U.S. has ambassadors all over the world. Probably in every recognized country in the world, there's a, a U.S. ambassador representing the interests of the United States of America. And in Scripture, this word ambassador also has the idea of being a representative. But in our case, we're not representing the interests of, of one country to another. We're ambassadors for Christ. Which means, which means that by how we live and by what we say, we are representing Christ's interest to those who don't know Him. And, and not coincidentally, Christ, God's best interests, are also the best interests of the others. It, it comes together. Uh, what God wants is reconciliation. And what we need, what those who haven't been reconciled need, is reconciliation. And therefore, as ambassadors, God is making His appeal through us. We are in this world, God's instruments to call people to reconciliation with God. Hey, here's Jesus. Jesus can bring reconciliation to God. And as ambassadors, we're citizens of the country we represent, not the country we're sent to. Get this, we're citizens of the country we're, we, we represent. Get this, because I can't say it, uh, the country we represent, not the country we are sent to. Okay? So, that should have a profound effect on our living and our thinking. We are citizens, we are not citizens of this world. This is where we, were, we are sent. This is where we live. We are ambassadors for Christ, as Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. But our citizenship is in heaven. We must understand that uh, where our true home is. We must understand what we're representing. Heaven is our ultimate destination. We may live on this earth 70 plus years, but when we die, we'll spend eternity in heaven. We'll return to our home, our home country, so to speak. Now, last week's message uh, had a lot to do with death. We spoke about death. I talked about how how we as believers are to have a different response to death. If you were here, you remember. Because death for us means resurrection, eternal life. It means being with Christ for all eternity. It means a physical reconciliation with God. So we're reconciled sort of spiritually. and 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 then upon Christ's return, when we're resurrected, there's this physical reconciliation with God. But what we didn't talk about was what death means for those who do not trust in Christ. What death means for those who are not in Christ. Who, are not, who have not been reconciled with God. And it's quite a different picture. Instead of being uh, uh, in Christ and experiencing resurrection to eternal life with God, for those who are not in Christ, death means eternal separation from God. And what the Bible describes as a place of torment, we call it hell. And this should create an urgency 
in our ministry, our message, our representation of Christ. Notice the urgency in God's appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ who reconciled you. You're reconciled already. Be reconciled to God. We implore you on... This is the message, sorry. We implore you on behalf of Christ who's reconciled us. Be reconciled to God. That word implored means includes the idea of, of begging even, of praying, of requesting, desiring, longing for. There's an urgency to our message when compared to eternity, life on earth, uh, uh, James says, is, is a mist. It's a vapor. It, it appears for a moment and then it vanishes. But it's during this life that people make the most important decision of their eternity. Will they be reconciled with God? Because if you're not reconciled with God here, you don't continue on and in that relationship throughout all eternity? Will they trust in Jesus Christ for their eternal salvation? There's an urgency for you and for me to share the Gospel, to share the message of reconciliation we've been entrusted with with the people around us. The people you live next door to. The people you work with. The people you go to school with. Your family and friends. Really anyone that God puts in your path. Now maybe as you've heard, as we've read, uh, what our part in reconciliation is, what the reconciled part is, as Paul's uh, words to the church in Corinth, maybe a, a person or, or a group of people have come to your mind. Oh, they're not reconciled to God. People who need the Lord. People who if they were to die today, would enter a Christless eternity. People who have never experienced reconciliation. They don't have peace with God. They're still at war with the Lord. And so I would encourage you, as I believe Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth, with a sense of urgency, engage in the ministry of reconciliation. Spend time with people. Care for them. Help to meet their needs. Proclaim to them the Christ-centered message that through Christ they can be reconciled to God. This week, be an ambassador, ambassador, a representative for Christ to those who don't know Him. As uh, as Tom Raisbeck, our newest elder, comes to lead us in communion this morning as we celebrate what Christ did, His broken body, His spilt blood, that's, that's what he did, that we might be reconciled to God. That's his, uh, his, his part, his work in our reconciliation. As we celebrate that, as we take communion this morning, I would implore you to remember and even begin to pray for those who have not experienced the grace and the love and the forgiveness and the peace and the reconciliation that we've received. Pray that God will use you as a minister of reconciliation. That He'll allow your mouth, He's entrusted you with this message, that He'll allow your mouth to speak the message of reconciliation in the lives of those who don't know Him. Tom, would you come as I, as I pray? And worship team as well. Lord God, Lord God, we can do nothing but rejoice, praise You, honor You, worship You, bow before You for our own personal reconciliation. That we have relationship with You, Lord. 
Thank you so much. Thank you for the cross that provided this reconciliation, Lord. Thank you that you drew us to yourself, that you, 100% you, reconciled us to yourself, Lord. Now, Lord, use us. Give us boldness. Give us uh, the sense of urgency and priority that we need to, to speak out. We need to live as ministers of reconciliation. We need to speak out the message of reconciliation. We need to tell others about Jesus Christ, what he did for us and what he'll do for them. In his name we pray. Amen.